Hello and welcome to the Me Palabra podcast brought to you by Link Media. Great to be back with you. I'm with my co-host JP Harada. Good to be with you again, JP. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. And um, we are on episode three. So I will have JP introduce our guest really quickly. Yeah. Uh, today's guest is uh, David Nunez, uh, a young man I had met back in the day, actually, when I first got back from being on the run and got out of incarceration. And uh, I met him when he was about 13 years old, um, very highly recruited from my neighborhood. Um, you know, I've always known him as Blue, so I, I kind of want to give him his adult name of David Nunez, but I always recognize him as Blue. Um, and yeah. Well, thank you, JP. It's an honor to be here today. Thank you for the kind words and for the introduction. Thank you, Nick, for having me here today. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. Um, okay. so I guess, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, background, JP, what actually, what you know, about first? It, yeah. Let, let me just kind of set the scene here, um, for David. Um, when I first met David, uh, he was one of the most articulate kids and always asking questions if things didn't make sense. That's how I first met him, you know, when he first approached me and he's like, you know, hey, so where are you from? And, <laughs> you know, who are you? And da, da, da. just asking tons of questions. And I remember looking at him like, who the hell is this little white kid? Like, you know, why are you hanging out with the homies? And he'd let me know like, no, no, I'm Mexican, homie. You know, I'm from, I grew up here and. You know, he's just hanging out with the homies and so on. Um, but like I said, it, there were certain qualities about him that always came out as a leader. Like, it, it, whether he realized it or not, I always noticed that, like, wherever he went, he always had, like, five, six people behind him. And whatever David came to a conclusion, it was like everybody else came to that same conclusion as well. So I learned very early on with him that if I can just help mold that particular mind, then I know the next 20 are gonna follow suit, you know? Um, and, and that's the individual that I saw uh, in David, you know? Um, what, what Do you remember when we first met and everything? You know, I do remember actually, it's very vivid. We met at the Glita Projects down on Kellogg Street, you know, uh, we were riding bikes, you know, doing the things that we normally do with the homies outside of high school and so, I know at the time I had already been involved with a few programs that were keeping us away from trouble and, you know, uh, what youth at risk. That's what we were at, uh, essentially. Um, JP was already starting to reach out and help out with that. And so he came around one time and, you know, that's how we met. You know, it turned out that we had a lot in common from just, you know, having a background of being from Mexico. Our parents are from back there. Um, I've always been hungry for knowledge, and so I knew that JP brought a lot to the table. Something about him also told me, like, ask this guy some questions because he's obviously been through a lot. He's trying to do something different than he was doing before, and so um, I knew that I always, it was wise of me to, to start asking someone, you know, what was really going on. So uh, JP has always been a, a very inspiring person to me. He's been a mentor. He's been a friend. He's been a brother. He's been there for me uh, ever since, ever since for a lot of things. And so I'm very grateful for that. And even though we don't always see each other, but when we do connect, it's back to the old same way that, you know, we have that connection. It's yep. solid. And, and I'm thankful for that. And, and I always look up to JP as one of the solid, mo most solid homies here in the neighborhood that really has done a lot for 
for the youth and for the community and and we need more people like him to start coming forward agreed do, do, do you remember it, it was funny because like i said when when i first met you the little crowd that you used to hang around with you know um do you remember how many people we've lost from that particular group yes you most know? of them yeah you know and the, the first question one of the first questions that david had asked me before he was asking me he was like uh hey um what why don't people why don't people donate or why don't people give us the opportunities um and i kept on telling him as i do they're they're giving us the opportunity we're just not looking to take advantage of them you know what i mean um so when we would have those little conversations like I said, it was, dude, you were like a three-year-old, like the whole why phase. You know what I mean? Well, why this? Why that? When it came to the cops. Um, I think when I met you, you were already doing, you were already on probation at the time. Correct. Right? And I remember the first problem that I kind of addressed with you guys was the, the drugs, using the drugs. And I remember I talked to you in front of a probation officer and I told him, I said, dude, you're on probation. If you guys don't get high, for three months or whatever you got left on your probation once you get out probation you can go get high with any dope that you want and nobody's gonna <laughs> check in on you and the probation officer sitting there looking at me like dude you can't tell him that you can't tell him that and i'm like no like i mean yeah, it's real yeah it's, yeah. Real. it's real i'm not a po i don't yeah, it's real i can tell yeah. whatever the hell i want you know and i could just remember this light bulb that came over his head and i remember you turned over to chucky and you're like fool Three months after that, we're gonna get high as fuck and everything. <laughs> and I remember checking in with you periodically. Well, the funny thing about it is, I fast forwarded to like a month later, and I'm talking to this probation officer. He's all, "Hey, uh, you you work with David Nunez, right?" I said, "Yeah." He's all, "Dude, trip out. I had a van full of girls and kids for a program that they did on the weekends with probation, and one of the girls was talking to him about." Yeah, there's Blue and Chucky, they were at a party, and one of them was about to get, take a bong hit, and Blue went in, he's like, hey, fool, don't be doing that shit, dog, we're clean, we're almost off, and everything else, so those girls were bragging about it to probation, probation contacted me, they're like, dude, I can't believe that these fools clean Ted, they're doing everything that's required of them. I think you guys discharged probation early and everything else, but that's when probation really started focusing on me, saying like, Dude, our fucking kids are starting to get off probation like that. We can't be having that. Right. You know what I mean? But I remember like that for me solidified your leadership qualities. I was like, damn, I can only tell a kid something, but a kid's not going to listen to an adult. But if you can find that one leader in the kids and, you know, kind of water that seed, it has a ripple effect. You know what I mean? And it's just, uh, that's just one story of how I've kind of seen you grow and take ownership of your own little leadership qualities. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and, and, and I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that might think, well, that's just one case or you don't have it that bad. The assumption is in Santa Barbara, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? But would you be willing to tell us a little bit of some of the things that were going on with you at that particular time or some of the things that you were struggling with so people can get a better understanding of your character and, you know. Sure. Yes. So, you know, to back up a little bit, you know, I'm an immigrant. I came here at a young age, you know, just like any general kid. I come from a dysfunctional family, problems of all sorts, just like we all know. 
Um, when I came here, it was year 2000, uh, late to, or early 2000, actually. Everybody was worried that the world was going to end. I was excited for a new world coming from Michoacan. And so uh, I moved to Goleta, uh, out in Elwood Beach, and I lasted there for about a year. Everything was solid there for the time being. And then about a year, we decided to move out of my uncle's house. We relocated to Old Town Goleta. And right about then is when, you know, things started to change with me. I started hanging out with different people, different homies, having the d these different ideas as to who I was. And so, um, as we all know, you get caught up in the situation. You, you start doing, you know, things that in some people's eyes are not what you should be doing as a kid. You start getting in trouble. You start hanging around with the bigger homies. Um, you start getting hit up by some of the same neighborhood homies that are in town. And so... Uh, from there, you know, it started where just started not caring, started going through the school pipeline, not really taking it serious, ditching school, doing that, smoking a little bit of weed here and there, you know, and and starting to change my appearance, too, and, and representing for my neighborhood, um, even though I was never in an actual gang, but I was around in the environment. Mm -hmm. I was a product of my environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then. Sure enough, as JP said, when he met me, I was I was already on probation. I had a had to go to CADA, had to go to these different uh, programs that would somewhat try to help us get out of that situation. What is CADA, by the way, just just for context? Yes, CADA, um, JP Council on Alcohol and Drug Addiction. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Yeah, right, yep. and that was just for smoking yep. weed. And uh, so. Uh, Throughout this process, you know, I, I, I started getting gaining attention from from the bigger homies and and we started coming around. And next thing you know, recruitment starts to happen where we're getting hit up by homies and they're telling us, why aren't you guys want to be part of, of, of the, the, the gang right here in town? And and we always had this this uh, resistance to that, because to us, the approach, if the approach had been different, we had probably said, yeah, let's do it. But the approach was like people getting out of cars, going after us because we look a certain way, but we don't, we're not part of their neighborhood, but we are in the same neighborhood. And so that's where the problem started. That's where, you know, um, I just decided I don't give a fuck anymore. Let's, let's go with yeah. it. Let, let's, let's get down, you know, cause you know what, at the end of the day, this is what I got, you know, no one else got my back. Let's start to be down as fuck. And, and, you know, let's start to work together here. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where, where the problem started, you know, and then, um, I, I would say that in, in that course of time, you know, I started also just getting input from JP, he started coming in and telling me like, Hey man, like, you know, you're, you're a solid individual, you know, it's, are you sure you want to do this? Um, you know, ended up getting in a few fights. He was there to back me up and, and, and somewhat, you know, organize situations where, I knew I, I couldn't back down. I had to go and, and face the situation and, and get down and dirty with these fools. And so, so we did it. And, let, and, let, and just to clarify for people to understand what that entitles, you know, um, it's funny that you mentioned their approach on trying to recruit you was what turned you guys off, yeah. <clears throat> you know? So imagine a gang having a PR problem on how they're recruiting people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I, I think <clears throat> the issues that you had at that particular time was you were already earning a reputation as somebody that can get violent. You know what I mean? Someone that they can count on to pretty much handle the situation, right? Regardless of who it was. 
um, even more so than some of the individuals who were already initiated to the gang. So I think that when you were getting recruited, um, it was funny because I'm from the same neighborhood that he was getting recruited on. And it seemed like every week you always had a question like, hey, I want to get jumped in, but this doesn't make sense. Explain that to me. You know what I mean? So I'll be like, okay, look, check this out. This is the way it works. This is the way it is. This is what's going to be expected of you. This is what's required of you. And these are your options that you can take, right? So when I would explain that to him, then I would always give him, all right, so here's three questions for you to go back and ask the people that are recruiting you. Ask him this, ask him this, ask him that. Um, there were certain characters in the neighborhood that I believe were no good at the at the beginning, but they were in good standing in the neighborhood. So I would tell him, like, all right, look, that individual is no good, but they're still hanging out with them because of dope, because of money, because of a lot of the corruption that goes on. So ask them who's going to take care of that. And then after that, maybe if you're willing to do it. And people would always tell me, like, oh, you can't be doing that. you got to tell them not to join the game. And my, always, my philosophy has always been I can't tell anybody not to do something that I've already done. But I believe that you should be able to give these. If these kids are making life and death decisions, then they should have the right to all the information in front of them yep. for them to make their own decisions. Because there's nothing more powerful when you feel like nobody told me to do this. I did this on my own, right? Right. So even the situation like with uh, you know the rats in our in our neighborhood, when I was telling you like, hey, yep. homie, these individuals are hanging out with so and so. And he would go back and tell him, like, hey, who's going to handle those fools? And if you handle those fools, then maybe I'll think about joining the neighborhood. That situation that we just talked about where uh, I did kind of coordinate a little bit you having to get down with one of the homies from the neighborhood, right? For a lot of people that don't realize this, like, that's a big no-no for me to pick sides with somebody that's not from the neighborhood. Um, so when I showed up, and just to let people know, like, I took my son with me to a situation as well because he's the same age as you. But my son's never wanted to be from the neighborhood. But my, I started noticing my own son having an ideology where he felt like there was honor, respect. And there was he started looking at gangbangers, kind of like idealizing them a little bit. And I was like, oh, shit, I got I to gotta fix that real quick. <laughs> so I told him, I said, come here, you're coming with me. And you were getting down with one of the homies. And I showed up, and all the homies are like, all right. They all like David, but they were all pretty much pushing for the other individual to kind of put David in his place, you know. And David had his back turned. The guy tried to rush him, and I yelled at David. And he turned around, and they ended up going at it. Afterwards, I remember I was yelling at you, don't ever turn your back on any of these fools. They're all cowards. Like, for the most part, a lot of gangbangers now, they're all cowards. Like, so don't ever turn your back on them. <clears throat> I took my son after that particular fight to a meeting that the neighborhood called because of me, because I showed up to back you up, right? And I took my son with me. I told him, I said, look, we're going to go in here. Don't say nothing. Just listen. Just listen. And my neighborhood started reprimanding me, saying, you can't be doing this. You had that little homie's back, and you had his back over the homie, and that's a no-no, and you can get fucked up, and uh, and my, I could see my son, dude. My son was getting so angry by what they were saying. But I was telling the homies, like, hey, homie, do what you got to do then. Like, if I did something wrong, punish me. Then do what you guys got to do. But they're, like I said, they're cowards. Nobody mm -hmm. wanted mm -hmm. to do anything, right? 
I remember when I walked out of there, I, I was thinking like, okay, how the fuck am I going to protect David now? Like, I got to find a way to protect him from not getting bunched up or getting assaulted by a group of individuals and so on. And then at the same time, I'm looking at my kid and my kid is turning purple, dude. He was so pissed off, JP. He was so pissed off and they're fucking cowards, dad. And how can they all be like that? And I, and I was telling him, I said, dude, no matter where you go, you're always gonna find these type of people. Cowards are, are everywhere, right? It's how you address it. And then the idea came to me. Um, that same day I called you and I said, hey, homie, I want to introduce you to somebody. I introduced you to Nano. That's right. Right? I introduced you to Nano. I said, hey, come through, fool. I'm all, we're going to be training. And I brought him in, but I never called you blue. I said, hey, this is the homie David. Because he had already heard about the situation. So this is another individual from my neighborhood. Nano. You know, yeah, Nano. Yep. So when I brought him in and I said, hey, David, you know, you're going to train with him or whatever. You trained with him. Nana would call me up and be like, dude, this kid has talent, dude. Dude, this kid, he can do this shit professionally, like fight. Like, he's really good, homie. He's solid. He's solid. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you like the homie blue? He's all, what? He's all, this is this is the homie blue. This is who you got in trouble for? I'm like, yeah, dog. And he's all, oh, that's bullshit, dog. He's all, he's a good, solid homie, dog. Like, fuck that. Like, fuck the neighborhood. Like, what's up, dog? Like, I'm like, hey, homie, relax. I just <laughs> wanted you to introduce him. We had another meeting a month later, and the homies brought it up again when there was more of them, where they felt more like, oh, there's more of us now, so we can take on JP. And they brought him up again. Hey, homie, like, you know, you, you were out of bounds, and you got to get checked, and cool, do what you got to do. Fucking let's do this. And I remember Nano coming out, and he's like, hey, homie, if you're going to do that shit with him on me, he's like, I got blues back too. What's up, fool? Now there's two of us. And everyone just kind of got like, oh, dog. Like, they all acted like cowards. And I was telling him, I was like, man, this is the shit that I'm talking about. Like, you always have to find a way to a deal with the gang shit, right? There's always ways. And that's what I was trying to teach you. This is what's accepted of you. This is what's going to be your ways of dealing with them, right? Right. And at that time, I think that's when you really got discouraged from even going down the gang site. That's correct. Because I remember you really made that, that whole, your mentality kind of, and even the questions you asked changed. You went from, these are my friends that I grew up with, and yeah, I live in this fucking neighborhood, but this is my community, not just a neighborhood. This is, you know what I mean? And I think that's what kind of shit is for you at that particular time. So just so people understand, like, the, you know, it's not just kids hanging out with kids. Like, there's a hierarchy. There's shit that people follow and so on, and um, the pressures that come with it. You know, it's not just somebody saying, hey, you want to get high or you want to hang out. Like, there really is some some shit going on. Um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. There was a shift in my mind at that point. And, and um, to also add on to your point that you just said, it's, yeah, there is something going on in the neighborhood that keeps you locked and kind of blind to what's outside of that or what's in within even your community. That could be even just sim simply just taking up different hobbies changing your your perception as to what you're doing in the neighborhood like jp always said you can always be a down-ass homie without being part of a gang and that clicked in my head because i said i could still be who i am walk around with my head high and i don't need to be answering questions to anybody and i could still go out and serve as a community and help out those in need without having to be part of this and 
and and that was a major shift for me so um I, I thank you for that and for you know being a part of that transition for me and that was 2012 so that was kind of the light switch moment the light switch yeah. when i just really started to have different thoughts that allowed me to climb upstream and figure out that there's a lot more on the other side of that door dude yeah. how many of them followed you that to me blew my mind because it seems you took half the fucking neighborhood with you half the neighborhood left with you the minute that you change your mentality and you say you know what this shit ain't really for me you you really did take half the homies with you blue's not gonna join the neighborhood okay then why am i gonna join the neighborhood they all left with you they all they made their own life chucky had his family went got to work Fuck, every single one of them ended up saying, you know what, I got a different path. Um, and to me, that always stuck to me. It's like, fuck, come on. it's amazing how that one person can lead so many other ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, powerful. It's and that, powerful. that was crazy. That was crazy. And, and it's funny because Nano still brings you up. Nano still brings you up. And he's like, dude, he's like, I wish we could have got him from the neighborhood, dog. He has all the qualities that we're looking for. And I'm like, dude, you met the homie. Like, why would you want to put him in the predicament that we're right. in? Like, right. You know? He's like, no, no, no. I don't want nothing bad for him. But I wish he would have been for that dog. <laughs> that's somebody you want to associate with. Right, right, right. You right. know? Do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about where that path started to lead you, I guess? Um, and then maybe how that brought you up to now. I don't know, you said that was 2012, so it's been nine years since then. Where did you go first from from there? And then um, how did that develop into what you do today? Sure. Yeah. So um, prior to 2012, I had already been part of a few other programs also that uh, opened up the opportunity to do things that I had never done in my life. And that was surfing. And that's cool. through one of the other homies that JP knows well, J.D. Ortiz. And he had this program that, you know, uh, brought a bunch of kids from different neighborhoods. It's called Homies Turf to Surf. And so we started surfing during the summer. They would take us out every day in the morning and throw cool. us in the water yeah. and start to learn. <laughs> and they, they got us wetsuits. They got all the equipment awesome. we needed. And, you know, there's this huge stigma, like Mexicans don't surf. Right. Well, I wanted to change that. I and mean, we do surf. We do a lot of other things besides just work in the fields and, and become part of a neighborhood. We do a lot of other things. We're, uh, you know, we're diverse. And so... That was one thing that really just inspired me to explore different fields, different hobbies. Uh, and then moving forward after that, that's when I started getting more serious about working, uh, being part of uh, JP's program, the nonprofit organization. I was tagging along with him to certain meetings, advocating for the homeless community, for the immigrants, mm -hmm. since I've always been an immigrant in my uh, situation as well. And so I knew I had to start working. I, I had to start getting serious. I, I had to find a way to contribute back to what was keeping me grounded, too, which was my parents. You know, I kind of right. had forgotten about them. Yeah. You know, in the midst of all this crazy uh, chaos with the neighborhoods and the homies, I always had them. And they have always were good parents. And so I knew that I had to do something for them. So I just started getting solid when it came to work. I became a caregiver for uh, disabled individuals. Um, I used to work uh well and then after that i did that for about two years then uh, i started my career at cottage hospital cottage. Uh, my first job was working in the food service industry and okay. so i lasted there for about a year okay. after that i climbed up the ranks i went to work as a tech in the or and in the recovery room 
And so I was assisting the nurses with all of that. And cool. so at that time, too, I kind of was getting excited to pursue a medical field, uh, a degree in nursing. Um, and then I uh, didn't do so well in school, so I, mm -hmm. I left it in the, in the back burner. Mm -hmm. Then my third job was working as a financial patient financial counselor in the emergency department. Um, and so this whole career at Cottage lasted about eight years. I met a lot of wonderful people, learned a lot of skillful things, a lot of uh, connections that I made through that. You know, wonderful people worked there, and I can always go back, and mm -hmm. I, I do miss that crowd. Yeah. Um, but I deep down inside, I also knew I always wanted to do something for myself, yep. to have that freedom, yep. to be an entrepreneur. And uh, the story started also with this individual who goes, his name is Salvador Perez. He's from... Oaxaca, and um, he was this gentleman that would come and clean the area where I first worked in the deli, the food service, and uh, he's a beekeeper. Okay. He, he's an apiculturist, a more yeah. proper term. And one day, he, he's like, hey, son, can you, come, uh, can you come help me move some boxes? And I just thought about it, like maybe he's moving, he's old, he's in his early 80s. And sure enough, you know, we get off work, we jump in his car, uh, we're climbing the road up this or driving up this road into an avocado orchard. And I'm like, oh, interesting. He, he, he lives good up here. And then as soon as we, he turns up the car, he gives me a veal. It's a veal is something that protects your face from right. mosquitoes. Yeah, and the, bees. Yep, face and cover. so I'm like, what's this for, Salvador? He's like, I didn't want to tell you, son, but we're going to take care of some bees right now. And I, I, I was afraid you might not want to come up here. And I'm like, <laughs> bees? Oh, my grandfather was a beekeeper. Let's do this. And so we started tending the bees. I got stung like five times that day because, oh, you know, I went in there nervous. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. all he had for me. These oh, days, God. you pull on a yeah, full Yeah, you put suit, the full suit. Yeah, suit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. This, in this case, I only had a veal. So I got stung in the Dang. leg, oh, the arms. Yeah. But it was all good. You know, we harvested some honey that day. That was quite an experience for me because back in Mexico, me and my older brothers and sisters, we would forage for honey. We would go out into the caves and into trees and, and attract this honey because that was a big thing. Wow, cool. We want to go get some yeah. wild honey. That's cool. That's and great. so, you know, over the course of me knowing Salvador, uh, I started helping him out on a weekly basis, attending for his bees, moving him around different orchards. Uh, and he saw my commitment. After a while, he gave me two of my own personal beehives. I started working those bees. I started just learning the basics. I overwhelmed myself. I became obsessed with the bee world. I'm like, there's something wow. here. Cool. And I, I had no idea what was there. Right. Um, Damn. And so YouTube was a big classroom setting yeah, for me. Because I learned everything in YouTube. Absolutely. And um, so then I, I started... Also tagging along with him, he would get these calls where people are calling him, hey, Salvador, I have a beehive in my backyard. Can you come remove it? And we would go because that means more bees for us, more honey. Um, so I would go with him. And me being younger, I was always he was guiding me do this. This is where you cut. This is how you uh, capture the queen. The rest of the bees are going to move into the that. And we can yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, we can go more into details to yeah. how the components work for a beehive. Damn. And so. As, as the hobby continued, I, I started to venture out and started just taking my own phone calls from people and, and spreading the word. Like, I'm a beekeeper. If you have any bees, please call me. Instead of them being killed by a pest company, right. call me. Mm -hmm. I'll take these care of these bees. I'll take them back to my apiary. And so I, I gained some traction right there. I started getting some awesome. calls. And, and then it, it started becoming a, a, a service on the side. Yeah. And I was still working at Cottage. You were? Okay. Same I time. Same time. Yep. I'm still taking calls. I'm 
selling honey from my house to people. To side the hustle. Homies. Yeah. Side hustle. Yeah. And, and I also love honey. So Dude, the hustle yeah. never stops. Hustle yeah, never sure. stops. For sure. And, and so, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's what it became. I eventually decided I need to, you know, brand this. I need to come up with the name. So I, I came up with 805 Bees. And, and that's, that's my go. business name. And we're in the process of changing it so it can be more uh, broad. Yep. Uh, but that was, that was the start to, to what I'm currently doing right now as an AP culturist and, and a beekeeper in, in short term. That's and awesome. So, so that's Dude, been so my... So you thing. found your passion by doing somebody a favor just to go help them move what you thought move <laughs> and you ended up finding your real passion. Yeah. What? Yes. Really yes. And it took me back to my roots again. Like, you know, after I left Mexico, I kind of had forgotten about all of that. You know, mm-hmm. I fully submerged myself in the culture here and, and I started playing sports. I just forgot about what farming was. And once I, I made that connection again, I'm like, Oh shit. Like we used to do this back there. Like this is this, this was just, that was normal back there. That here was life. Yeah here is an expertise to be that and and so um that that's where that's where it started and then it started opening a bunch of doors all over like people that were n- never generally looked my way they all of a sudden know oh, you're into bees well let's talk come to my garden in montecito and let's see if we can put some beehives there because i'm interested and, and so then now i'm at a point where we form this small collective of many different individuals farmers uh you know, gardeners, people that are into biodynamic farming. Mm-hmm. My current uh, backyard bee program uh, follows as uh, basically a mentor to anyone who wants a beehive. If they want me to set them up with that, I'll get them a beehive to their property. I'll run through the basic information first. I'll, I'll guide them through the entire process to set them up as successful beekeepers within their own comfort of their own home. And so, you know, Picture as a pool service, like I show up maybe twice a month. Yep. I, I service the beehives for them. And then there's those individuals that want to see everything. So I'll give them lessons. Um, I also, we're into commercial beekeeping where we're working cool. with corporate buildings that are uh, putting beehives on the rooftops. Really? Um, yeah. And so that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a big movement right now. Uh, bees are the number one endangered species right now in the world. So there's a lot of attention and, and there's a lot of awareness that's coming about. And, and so I'm trying to, you know, find my niche in that in that section. So you do this full time now? Yes. Yes. And okay. I also run the farmers markets. And you do farmers markets? Awesome. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. Selling honey. Selling honey. I work also for a farm down in Fillmore. It's called cool. Lily's Eggs. They've been around for like 20. I feel like I've years. heard of them. Yeah. Yes. They have some uh, of uh, what we call Gucci eggs. Some really <laughs> good eggs. <laughs> and it's all you know. They they really know what they're doing. They've been in the business for about 25 years. So. Mm-hmm. Um, they happen to be uh, uncles of my very first friend who I met here in, in the United States. And so when they found out that I had beehives, they called me up immediately. Hey, David, we, we have all these animals. We have flowers. We have chickens. We have goats. We need bees. So that's where the, the whole thing started. I moved some beehives to their property, and then now we're able to source our honey from the farm and sell it at the farmer's market under their booth name. And so that's at most of the farmer's markets here in Santa Barbara, Santa cool. Monica, Hollywood, uh, Venice Beach. Oh, out down south, too. Uh-huh. We go all the way down there. Damn, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so amazing to see the boy you were and to see the man that you are becoming. You know what I mean? Thank it's you. Fucking proud moment, man. Fucking. I know your parents will be very, very proud. 
They yeah. would be, yeah. And unfortunately, they're not around to see this. But I know somewhere they are watching, and, and they Definitely. keep me inspiring me to to continue to 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 work and 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 get it done because it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. not easy. But somewhere along the line, you know, they they've uh, they 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 really ingrained something in me, and that was hard work. And yep. hard work's gonna pay off. Hard work know. ethic for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm mean, JP was. Um, referring to it earlier but um you know finding something that you never really thought you would get into that you're passionate about um just by having someone and you being open-minded enough to go and help out and and say you know i'll give it a shot um and i mean that's a testament to a lot of different things i mean you gotta you gotta try shit otherwise you're never gonna find anything and you're never gonna do anything out of your comfort zone and i mean you you never know the next thing you might try maybe the thing that takes off or you know you love and you know makes you happy and all all kinds of different stuff with that so i think i mean it's interesting looking back now that you're you know sitting here doing this full time and and you know it's what you do now about how everything kind of pieced together for you to to get to that spot which you know you may not have seen coming before before working at cottage hospital um to then shift to you know beekeeping and and you know business and that whole deal um and I, you know i'm a big uh business person too so i i love i love that whole mindset um that you bring to it um growing expanding connecting with other people um uh yeah no, it's it's uh it's awesome and it, and it translates to you know everything in life so i mean i think people can definitely take that away yeah well thank you for saying that nick i think that sometimes you know as individuals we get caught up in this situation where we're we're afraid to take that risk you know some of these risks can be scary and and we tend to become stagnant sometimes because i myself i I have to remind myself like there'll be situations where i know i have to change something about my life and i remind myself on a daily basis this got to change david this has got to change and we somehow still keep repeating that behavior because of who knows what it is or subconscious or something that's holding us back. But once you can break through that, it's it's endless options that just break through. And as I said before, going upstream keeps going up, keeps going up. And once you get to the pond at the top, then everything else really starts to... Um, align you start to find synchronicity with things that just take place you're like okay that didn't happen for coincidence a hundred percent yeah i mean yeah i mean a hundred percent um i mean whatever you put out you're gonna find it so like i mean there's always gonna be bad if you're looking for the bad there's always gonna be good if you're looking for the good if you're putting good out there uh, you know everything happens for a reason i think and you know things connect up and um that good's gonna find you um if you're putting it out so you know sometimes it's hard in the beginning to to shift uh, if you're going through tough times or your mindset of, um, you know, being positive and, and putting it out when you don't see tangible results immediately um, because it, you got to be patient and it takes time and, and hard work, as you said. Um, but, you know, I, mean, I think just sticking at it and, and being patient like, like you did um, is super important because, um, you know, you'll, you'll get what you put out. So Human um, nature, man. Human nature, fear of the unknown, you know. And if I have to change this about myself, right. who am I going to be? Or you hold on to certain values thinking that that's who you are without realizing it's all about evolving. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. all about evolving. And I think you've done a pretty wonderful job of evolving. And then certain, like you said, certain opportunities come up and you just happen to be at the right place 
with the right state of mind to take advantage of those opportunities, you know? Yeah. Uh, I talked to a couple of the other homies too when I told them, I said, dude, look at David. He's starting this business, starting this, starting that. Oh, yeah, dog, but you know, dog, like, you know, he just got help. And homie, he's doing this on his own, dog. Like, he found something he was passionate about, put the energy into it. Things are happening, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. nothing has been handed to you. I mean, that's one thing that I can honestly say, nothing's been handed to you, but I think you've taken ownership of, you know, with you realizing school's not for me, so what's my next option? Oh, you know what? I'm gonna ride this wave out, and and you found something that you love, and that will always benefit you. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Do what you love, and money will follow eventually. That's 100%. right. And I'm glad you said that because we also have a mutual friend, Benji, who's a very intelligent individual. And I will never forget this conversation I had with him one time. I, I, I told him, I'm like, Benji, you're just good at work, man. You're good at schoolwork. You just naturally have it. And he said, well, think about that twice. Really? Do you think I'm just like a genius? And he and I said, yeah, I think you just got it. He's like, no, bro, it's these countless hours that I've been putting into this studying that's got me to be here. I didn't just get smart out of nowhere. And so for me, I, I retracted and I realized, yeah, like every time I basically made an assumption that he was just being smart and it all came to him. But in reality, he had been working his ass off, studying in the library at two in the morning. And right. I'm like, I haven't done that. Maybe if I do do that, maybe I'll get the same results. And so after that, I, I never questioned that anymore. You're just smart or, or you just naturally got it. No. Right. Right. Not be dismissive of somebody's work ethic. Right. And what they're putting into it. Yeah, that's that's very important. You know, actually, I, I was going to have him here as well with you having a conversation because they both were from different neighborhoods. Okay. You know what I mean? But I would, whenever I introduced them and everything else, I was like, dude, you guys have a lot of things in common. Oh, cool. You guys are both deep thinkers. You guys, I think you would sharpen each other. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, man. Fuck. Your work ethic is like no other. And I think before you were just putting it into the neighborhood part. And that's why people were recognizing you and everything else. And you just figured a way to transition and use that particular work ethic into something that's benefiting you and the community. Absolutely. So that's awesome. Yeah. That you found your place. I mean, the risk thing, too. I mean, everyone's scared to take a risk of, you know, whatever. And obviously, people are in different places in their lives, so they can only take a certain amount of risks. But as much risk as you can take, the only risk is not uh, taking enough risk, really. I mean, yeah. you're only, you only have one life, and you can only um, – you only got one shot at doing whatever. So, I mean, make it count. So um, Hell, yeah, dude. I love that, dude. <laughs> I, 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 heard, uh, I heard somebody say in a podcast, they're like, dude – if you if your life was made into a movie, would you go to go see it yourself? And right. I was like, fuck, you know what? I I want to live like that. I want I want to be able to be like if they make a movie of me, people are gonna want to be hyped to go see that shit. Yeah, the trials, uh, the tribulations. Hundred hundred percent. I mean, especially in the down times, yeah. and and then persevering through that. Um, another thing to like keep you going because I mean, there's hard work, unseen hours of of late nights and studying. You know, like the studying example. Um, you know, late nights. Uh, like imagine when you're doing all this work by yourself and it gets lonely. Imagine a camera crew there like filming what you're doing because of where you know you're going. So, yeah, I mean, it, what? <laughs> no, seriously, though. I mean, like, that's it. For people that don't understand Spanish, that's fucking. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're putting the hype up. 
Oh, the candles in the Ima- window. What? Well, yeah, Matt. Well, no, you're right. That's the motivation. Exactly. That's the motivation yeah. part of it. Um, and understanding that big picture. Because if yeah. if the if you know a movie was made about what you're doing, would you want to watch it? Is it meaningful? Is it is it has it fulfilled what you thought it was? And you know, with all of that, then money you know, won't won't be a problem at all. You know, you'll, that'll that'll come in its process and it takes time. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely important. Dude, that that's that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Uh, it's it's crazy to see where you're heading. You know what I mean? Um, dude, there's been a lot of times where I see you on the street too, and I'm like, damn, boy, I didn't even recognize you. You look like a white boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's so good because in in a way, dude, honestly, like when I see you kind of changing, even like the estilo, the way you carry yourself, dude, you actually motivated me to be like. Okay, I gotta stop fucking just shopping for black gray, black gray. I gotta put some color in me. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta try different things. You know, I'm not gonna lie. My girl came home once and she brought me a fucking purple shorts. I'm like, I'm not fucking there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But <laughs> trying to make progress, yeah, but we're not there yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Just throw it in the back. Throw it in the back. Maybe in a year. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll work my way in the back. <laughs> like, no, like I said, like you, you gotta find motivation in everybody, regardless whether they're old or new or anything else. Like. When I see you guys doing what you're doing, because like I said, you and a few other little youngsters, who, honestly, it makes me think like, okay, I'm glad I'm what I'm able to accomplish, but how do I need to change my state of mind or how I'm perceiving things in order for that next big jump? You know what I mean? And quickly before we get your take on that, I mean, the, the domino effect is real about who you surround yourself with. So everything that he just touched on, um, if, if you have a group of people around you that's even a step above that, then that's pushing you way higher than, than if you're in a group of other people that, that are, are just fucking around or not caring at all. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you know, happy to touch on, if you want to touch on, you know, what JP just said. I mean, it's, it's super important. Yeah, no, for sure. It goes back to, again, like, changing the whole stigma that you know because we're we're from a certain background right. or we're a certain age that like we got to just lose ties to that like that doesn't what what is a really age that's like i'm 30 right now like that's just a number to me right i don't even really 100%. talk about my birthday anymore because it's just another year yeah you know and so um that's that's kind of how I, I i like to think of it like break the stigmas that the, the society and certain aspects of of our culture gives us like you're supposed to be that way you're supposed to do that type of work because that happens a lot and and so um i think that's where we get caught up in the rat race you know not really venturing out outside of what's possible as individuals we're divided beings that have the ability to get high up there with their thoughts emotions physically whatever it may be you know but there there has to be a, a breaking point that you figure that out and once you figure that out, it goes back to what JP said, like just letting go of any anything that I just don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore because I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to go alone one day. And, Correct. And, and it's going to be on me to to visualize what did I really do with my time. Correct. Yeah. And there's other, I mean, when, you know, when people are in a bad place, you know, there's a lot of insecurities with judgment, you know, fearing judgment on other people of other people of what you're doing and you're not doing what you should be doing and this and that. Um, but really understanding you can do anything that fuck you want. And, right. and regardless of your situation, whether it's bad, 
whether it's good, you know, your background, culture, whatever it is, uh, you you are waking up and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and and you figure out where you want to go. Like you got to tell yourself, what can I do to get there? Mm-hmm. And you got to take those actions. And it doesn't matter if you start in a bad place because there's a lot of people in bad situations that that have have come out of it. So, I mean, you can look to them. If it's, if it's been done before, it can be done Dude, again. That's that's the best place to start off. Absolutely. The worst fucking situation that you could be in is the best place that you can start off. A hundred percent. Because it's like, this just makes it a lot fucking sweeter. It's mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. People people count you out. Um, and to, to be honest, it's an advantage because you've gone through that adversity. So when you hit real tough yeah. times and at peaks of in very important decisions and things like that, you're, you're battle tested. You you know you don't you don't care what other people think. Right. You yeah. you 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 know you so know where you're going. That's beautifully Dude, said. I love that one little quote that I heard one of the homies when I was locked up saying it was like, you know, you got to stay focused because it's easy to feel hopeless. And I remember when he said that, I was like, oh shit, like that's that that one's gonna stick with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it's crazy too because like what you're just talking on right now. Um, I was in a in a training with a bunch of teachers, counselors, and we were talking about, you know, where you come from, what what adversities you've been through, and, you know, the hardships. And I had a lot of counselors, and they're all crying about, oh, well, I had this, I had that. And I'm sitting there listening to their stories and everything, and I'm thinking, why the fuck are you crying? Like, if anything, you should feel more empowered by how shitty your life is. And we're all sitting here professionals we're all sitting here with a title we've all obviously made it out of whatever fucking environment we came from or past experiences that we had like why do we constantly want to feel pity like why do we always want to be like oh well you don't understand i came from this like dude it doesn't matter where you came from it's 100 percent. how what lessons are you learning along the way to get you out of that predicament? that's a mindset that's a mindset victim mindset you can't you, you can't you can't be can't be like that because you can come from anything, and yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you bring that up because I I don't like to ever play that victim part, and even though I have all the valid reasons to do so, exactly, because I've lost both of my parents back to back within two years apart. Prior to that, two years before that, I lost a brother. So in a matter of like seven years, I lost three family members out of nowhere. It yeah. just happened. Important. The worst, yeah. Crucial family members. Yeah. Exactly. Your circle, yeah. And and so people sometimes will ask me, well. David, like, or Blue, how do you, how do, you do it, man? Like, how, how do you just continue? And I'm like, perspective, bro. Like, 100%. at the end of the day, I might think I have it this bad, but there's always someone else out there that's even got it worse, and they're still pushing through. And, and not to compare the one or the other, but it's like perspective. And, and like what you said, it's the best time to, to take it to the next level when you're going through these hardships. And so I, I, uh, I embrace that. I'm like, all right, you know, I... It, how bad how worse can it get at this point exactly you know, well like it's just not there's just not 100 percent. and then you know? those those bad days that those really those three bad days when you get bad bad phone calls about your inner circle those are the days that you never want to happen and unfortunately they do happen at some point for everybody mm-hmm. but um then you realize with that perspective every other day that you don't get that phone call is a really good day right and there's going to be you know some tough times and periods of time where you know you're affected by things and have emotions and you know because you're everyone's human um but again just 
bringing that perspective back into it's just yeah. super important, especially, you know, if you, you know where you're going and, you know, when you're in the, that super low spot, uh, again, imagine, imagine the, the documentary being filmed about your life and imagine where you're going and, and then you just got to start action by action and, you know, reverse engineering how to get there. And, you know, it's, it's hard to take steps sometime at that point, but it's, it's important too. Dude, there, you know how many times I've been like out and about, like I'm thinking like, fuck, dude, the program is done, funding is gone, yeah. I'm under indictment, I'm this, and there's been so many fucking times where I'll be sitting in my car and I'm start laughing out of nowhere, and like sometimes like my son or somebody be like, what the fuck is wrong with you, and I'm telling them like, yeah, you know, this shit's going on, this is going bad, but when I start laughing, it's like, I'm realizing in my head going, Fuck, how am I going to get out of this? But I know when I get out, out of all this shit, dog, I can only imagine what rumors are going to be flying and how the fuck did he beat that indictment exactly. and how the fuck did he get his funding back and how did... Like, that, I feel like that's the way I motivate myself. Like, right when you start feeling that, oh, poor me, you know, it's like, holy shit. And <laughs> then that's imagine. when it spirals. Then it goes yeah. down. That I goes can't even down. imagine 100%. how this is going to be back up. Like, 100%. all right, let's get to work. Yeah. Shit, dog. That gives me the chills, man. Yeah. <laughs> answers are not going to come to you if you're not looking for them. So, all right, so let's let's make those connections. Yeah. You know? Wow. And, and something that you touched on, too, uh, on earlier on the circle, the circle that you have. You know what I mean? If you're the one that's hanging out with the people that are just hanging out, going downtown, drinking and you know working an eight to five but then just going out and drinking there do you really want to be around that circle or do you want to be surrounded by people that you aspire to be you know i have certain people that are in my circle that are making three hundred and fifty thousand, right and i love being around them i love being around them i love when they say dude i made this much and i can't even fucking pay my rent this month i love being around them because it's like damn fool you found a way to do that all right i gotta find my way what are you doing and how can I apply what you're doing? How can I apply it to what I got going on? You know what I mean? Like, what kind of lessons can I fucking learn off you? Because I love seeing people around me succeed because then it kind of pushes me to saying, okay, if we're friends, then that means I got to be successful too. Yep. In order for us to have that. Exactly. They're going to they're gonna pull you up also. Exactly. And, um, and I mean, the, the saying about that is, you know, if you're the smartest person in the car, then you're in the wrong car. No. So amen to that. That's what you said. You, <laughs> as soon as you realize, like, yeah, this gangbanging shit ain't for me. All right, guys, I'm out. Yeah. But but you were like a fucking those little spoiled kids. You took half the gang with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was like, so true though. That was so true. It just it clicked. I'm like, what the fuck have I been doing? Yeah. You know, like, and it's interesting how it happens to all of us. I'm sure, like. Yeah. The way I think right now, I wish, I just wish I had this mindset 10 years ago, but that's just not how things work. But it's always that. It's like, fuck, if I could have seen myself from a different view and just realized that, man, I was, I was not being wise at all. You and, know? I mean, th this process in the last 10 years is you learning how to get to this point. And, I mean, I think just, you know, everyone hearing this episode and understanding the important points, um, I think just understanding these these main points about you can do anything and it's all up to you and just think about what you want to do and where you want to go and try shit and all the important things that we touched on today if you can just keep banging it in your head banging your head and then eventually one day it'll click 
and you know it may not be may not click today but it may click in five years or two years after things certain things happen and you see things align and um you know happens at a different time for everybody something that i want to something that i want to know is when did you find your niche like at what point did you realize like this is mine like this is what i want to do like digital media yeah yeah i mean i i was always into computers as a kid um i was always playing with computers um you know starting blogs youtubes all kinds of stuff like in the early days when i was you know 12 years ago or something like that so um and i knew i was going to be doing something with computers i didn't know whether it'd be programming whatever but then i grew up and grew into like more of a creative mindset i did photography video for a long time so you know i I mean i'm 26 now so i graduated college four or five years ago went to uconn back east and i studied digital media Uh, and it's a new thing obviously it's really ever evolving with social and content and the phone and technology it's ever evolving now um and you know it's become clear and clearer the past few years i'm big in a business and startup space too you know i love that kind of stuff and um how you can affect uh at scale the most amount of people and change change like real change in in the world um so you know i mean i I played football in college for a while at uconn and so that kind of uh I think it was immediately after that that um, I had hit the ground running, and I, I, I it brought a lot of perspective. You know, it was a lot of work and grinding, and and that whole thing for for years and years. And um, you know, I mean, I, I you know I have my down. <laughs> I mean, I have my I have my downs also, but you know, you have to you know bring that perspective into play and and yeah. realize what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. And I mean, my you know my ambition is you know really really big. So, um, you know, it's just taking those actions to, to, to do your best to get there and affect people dude, along the way. you bastard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine already, like, figuring out what you want to do and everything else at 26? Well, you're close. And you're close. Yeah, you're, you're 30. Yeah. Fucking damn near and 50. It, and, well, and, it, and it happens. This is the craziest thing because it happens at a different point for, for everybody, right? Because of many different circumstances that happen in their life decisions they make things that they surround themselves with um but it's always also important to understand that it's never too late um you know even at even at 50 or even even later than that you know you still have many many years left what are you going to do with them you know it's your decision tomorrow you can change the course of your life and that's why we're here doing a podcast. <laughs> wow. Huh. Yes. It's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I just, that's that's amazing for you to share that. And and just to add on a little bit back to what we said, the group you surround yep. with. Yeah. What I've noticed in my own experience, the moment that you start asking questions to those individuals that are successful, to the homies that are making good money, all of a sudden they want to even tell you more about their secrets and how they've done it. It becomes this thing where all of a sudden all the right people want to help you out. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing once that starts coming out. So, yeah, I think that's that's just uh, it, it, it's a fluid motion type of, uh, you know, events that take place. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's and it's, you know, it's never a straight line and there's always, you know, ups and right. downs and curves along the way. Right. But it's that, you know, steady progress, you know, keeping your keeping your feet moving. And even if you make a bad decision or, um, you know, you take an L doing something, it's. Um, okay. I mean, how do I, how do I get around it? How do I take the next step? Mm-hmm. Dude, how do you, how can we get this type of mentality into the country right that's now? That's it. That's it. You know what I mean? The that's it. Fucking country. And I was so divided with right. 
you know, them versus us, Dems versus Republicans. And it seems like everybody wants to hold the other group down instead of really looking at each other and being like accountability on both sides. You know what I mean? Um, and accountability for yourself. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror. vote on things based on the issue, not on the, well, I have to vote like this. Or perception this. of, of stigma. Yeah. Oh, this is what stigma is. Yeah. All kinds of things like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's important to get that message out. And I think things like this is how we start doing that. Um, talking on podcasts, talking to more people, yeah. communication at scale, even in, in local communities, which, which, you know, I know JP does and everyone you talk to. And mm-hmm. um, the more people that you touch, um, then that, that message will get out there more. And then, again, it'll click at different times for different people. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times people do things because they're scared. Um, and the way they act because they're scared and they have insecurity and you know it, there's a lot of things in people's past that you don't know about so but really that that mindset shift is what you've got to really get to um, and so just doing things like this and talking about it is important yeah dude I do want to talk about one one last thing with you yeah about some of the inspiration that came through it do you think any of that inspiration came through when we first did the one program with uh, Mistres Caras. Absolutely, that absolutely. That was a, a big part of that. That was a big part of that because, you know, first first off, we, you know, became part of this. Tell them who, what, what that is. Got it. Shortly, yes, yes. Yeah. So um, prior to that, we were already in the programs with JP through Palavra. We yep. were going through his weekly meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, we would show up to his uh, the building that we were renting. All the homies would show up. We talk about lessons for the day and how can we empower ourselves? How do we change certain habits? How can we do better in school? How do you get to class? How do you do that? Uh, and then they would also feed us too. So that was another big thing that we looked forward to because a lot of us didn't have parents at home cooking for consistent us. food. They're, they're working two to three jobs a day to to keep it going. And so then we became part of Mistres Caras and we started working with created created that's right thanks for correcting me that because we did create that um mistress caras uh, i was honored and it was such an informative thing for me because uh first off before that i had never really learned about the holocaust and what the holocaust was and we all know the depths as to what took place in those Mm -hmm. years so uh, all the kids from the neighborhood um and jp uh, or from the program we collaborated with uh, these, you know, Holocaust Jewish survivors, Federation. with yeah. the Jewish Federation. Mm-hmm. And through that, we met a lot of these Holocaust survivors that were in some of the worst times uh, in, in history. And so I became, a lot of us became really close to these individuals. We created these networks where we were, even after the program, we were meeting to have lunch. And so um, the, the main thing was, here we are, two different ethnicities different backgrounds completely different but yet at the same time we all faced this disparity within our community this you know stigmas stereotypes and you know um hatred 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 discrimination and so these older uh women and, and gentlemen were so inspired to hear our stories because they they were they're against that and they they said we we they just couldn't believe how we're being racially profiled in our own neighborhoods. We live in Santa Barbara, one of the wealthiest cities in, in, in the United States, but right. yeah, we still have all these different issues 
um, that are not being addressed because of people in, in certain places that are not allowing this process to take place to get a better community from the roots, not just cover it up, but from the roots. And so we exchanged a lot of information. They would talk about their stories. We uh, were uh, asked to create uh, an art project um, kind of resembling what our life should look like or how we anticipated in the future. Um, and so that was really, uh, you know, uh, informative for all of us because we just got to learn about what this whole thing was with the Holocaust. They got to hear our stories, where we came from. And, and uh, it was a program that eventually took off, you know, uh, nationwide. And, you know, uh, we unfortunately didn't get much credit for it because of certain people that were in it. But yeah. the, the bigger message was there. And, yeah. and we inspired some of these people to continue to do what. Uh, what we were part of and and so that was mistress caras um there's a video on it on awesome youtube you can check it out they were never able to replicate the same thing the same program was never the same after the first batch but my what i was taking out of it was the we took them and uh holocaust survivors to the museum of tolerance yep. in la in la yeah Been there. dude we had some of the best pictures of fluffy Fluffy's a 6'2", maybe at the time he was like 450. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> and he's holding on to these two ladies that were maybe like 4'6", 4'7", you know, Holocaust yeah, survivors. Yeah. And he's holding on to both of them, and they're like leaning on them, like crying, like, you know. And a lot of yeah. the kids that walked out of that experience, uh, you're the one that asked me, they're like, damn, fool, that's crazy. Like, Rwanda? Oh, shit, when did that take place? And I remember you're like, dude, that would never happen again, huh? Like, dude, that's good that that shit would never happen again. I was like, what do you mean it doesn't happen again? Shit's happening right now in Israel. Look what they're doing to Palestine. Yeah. Look what they're, what's going on all over the country. Like, yeah. you know, shit in Mexico. People right. coming from Guatemala. Like, this shit never stops unless people get more vocal about it. And I remember just your eyes going like, oh, shit. Like, things are still, how come they're not teaching that in school? Right. But I do love about the fact that, yeah, you're right. A lot of those people that went to the program with us, the people themselves, they genuinely took an interest in so many of you guys. Because um, for years, I would always get calls from them saying, hey, um, who doesn't have papers? Oh, so-and-so. Do you think the parents would mind if I adopted them? And then that way we can give them. And I'll be looking at them <laughs> like, damn, you guys are really about breaking the laws up, my yeah. kid. But their genuine concern, and then even the circumstances, Stanley living underground with 18 other people. Right. And I remember when he was telling his story, there was like four people that gravitated to him going, oh, shit, like, I live with three other families in a two-bedroom. Mm -hmm. Like, and you saying that, like, like you said, perception. I thought I had it bad. Yeah. Living with three or four other families. But you actually never got to see the sun for fucking two years that right. you were hiding underground. So I shouldn't complain. And for Stanley and them to be like, wait, you live with how many people in Santa Barbara? Like, so I think it was a reality check for both sides. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I remember. We, I wish we could have kept that program going, man. Um, yeah. But I think that was their first loss as well. Mm -hmm. They came up with the program, developed the curriculum, developed this is how we interact and came up with the name the design and then i mean clearly you guys took uh, a lot of good from it yourselves so i mean that's that's all you all you ever need you know what i mean um anything else that comes from it is you know gravy but right exactly yeah i i, I um 
I think that, yeah, that was the biggest thing is what did we take as individuals? Right. And, you know, um, it, it was interesting because a lot of these individuals, I remember Maria Segal would also ask questions like that, like, you know, like, how is it that this is happening in Santa Barbara? They were just so disconnected and, and they don't hear about this. They're like, how is it that this is happening in Santa Barbara? And, and, and so it just, you know, assured us that there, there's a big disparity here in Santa Barbara that's not being addressed. I go back to that because uh, people need to know about this. And it's like, why, sh why should, uh, you know, kid in the lower west side be going to sleep on an empty stomach when yet there's billions of money flowing around in the hills of Santa Barbara? That shouldn't be happening. But it is. But the thing I wanted to cover by that particular thing is on one side for us, it's easy to assume that fucking white people, you gotta know this shit's going on, so you must be racist because you already know this shit's going on. But when we talked with them, it was like, no, they just don't know. They genuinely don't know. Who's gonna sit there and tell them? Who's in their immediate circle gonna tell them, hey, these are the circumstances in our communities? Like, there's nobody. So I always kept on trying to push it with the kids. It's like, don't automatically assume that everyone's racist because of the predicament that we're in. Maybe genuinely they just don't know that that's how shit is being implemented or that's how shit's being pushed. And that's the whole idea for us doing this podcast is to bring up a lot of these topics and Correct. bring awareness because I believe that if you didn't know before, it's not your fault. But if you know that this shit is going on now, now you have a choice to either get involved, ask questions, or do something about it. You know what I mean? But before that, you, I can't make an assumption on your on who you are or anything else. And on the other side, for us, on my neighborhood, it's like, you can't fucking blame racism. You can't blame the cops. You can't blame the system if you're the one hurting your own people. Right. If you're the one destroying your own community. So on both sides, I feel we need to take accountability before we come to the table and saying, okay, what, what do I need to do my part in order for you to do your part? And then how do we come in the middle? to create that equality, that that accountability. You know what I mean? Well said. Uh, and I think you guys were the first batch from us that came out and it was like, fuck, <laughs> now, now I'm trying, now I find myself like a junkie. I'm trying to get that first trying to fucking get it, high. Get it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get it again. I'm trying yeah. to get back to that. How do I get, cause dude, when we had Palauda, that was what? We had about 260 kids on our caseload. 260 kids, and I think I must have lost maybe like eight, eight or ten from each neighborhood. So that's county wide. You know what I mean? Um, you look at any other program, it's like nobody has successes like that, and you know you couldn't really document that. But seeing you guys, it was kind of like fuck. I gotta replicate that. You mm -hmm. guys again. Yeah. You guys yeah. involved. Yeah, and I mean to 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 kind of start wrapping things up. It's. I mean, all the different topics we talked about today is super important. So, I mean, I think this was a, a really, a really big episode. And again, we appreciate you joining us. Um, a lot of great things that we discussed. Anything um, else that you want to mention real quick or and that we didn't cover? You know, any other businesses you have that you want to? Yeah, plug anything. In? You, yeah, you want any ventures? Anything coming up? Uh, well, ventures, I spoke to a little bit briefly. You know, I've been trying to just create a collective here in the community um, that's going to really help everyone out. And by forming that collective, I mean, like, really starting to distribute food to the lower income communities through the farmer's market. Um, I, I, I welcome anybody that's uh, interested in bees to come to one of my local bee yards and learn about that. 
come down to one of our booths at the farmer's market and get some honey from us. Um, you know, that's something that we really strive to keep keep quality within our products that, that we use. Um, and, and, you know, reach out. Anybody that knows me, you know, you know a little bit more about me now. So, you know, there's a lot that we can uh, offer to those individuals that are just curious about that. Um, we're also empowering farmers out in the fields to start you know taking care better of themselves how do they go about mental health um take a step back away from just work 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 and and start mm -hmm. to you know treat yourself to other things that are essential to your health as well um and so the collective you know once it really continues to take off i, I think it's going to be able to allow us to get into schools because i'm already also part of uh with, through one of my friends he services the the uh, local schools here, their worm bins and the compost. And so there's a lot of grassroots mm -hmm. uh, movements that are taking place. It's all tied into even some of the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. and, and so right now that's a hot topic too. And, and so we're, we're trying to get into that as well, uh, growing mushrooms um, and, and and continue to, to, to move forward, as I always say. What's your IG thing so people can kind of get at you? It's a D... Nunez one five six, and I'll spell it out: D N U N E Z one five six. And we'll put, yeah, we'll put, we'll put links in and uh, his information, so so you guys can uh, check him out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, uh, thanks again for having me here, Nick. And I, I look forward to partaking more into these conversations. Definitely. And and I really like how you said it. The start comes to down to this. Let's let's start voicing our, our opinions or our thoughts, and, and and let's let's spread awareness as to how we can work collectively. Definitely. And when we can bring you back on again, then we definitely will. Thank um, you. So. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming down, Blue, and Thank always you. a pleasure with you, Nick. Uh, my anchor. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you that. My there, anchor. there we go. There yes. we go. So. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you in the next episode.